This podcast is a proud member of the FanHub 100. Football without fans is nothing, so we've partnered with FanHub to put fans first. Search FanHub app to play your part in the journey. Welcome back to another Speaks on Reaction podcast and another one recorded after a win, obviously in the league to add to that. Of course, Sunderland did face Shrewsbury yesterday or Saturday, depending on when you are listening to this, getting a 1-0 win in what I've just said that John was probably one of the most boring games of football I've ever watched. But nevertheless, it was a win and joining me to discuss the game is Michael and John. How are you both getting on? Doing all right. Can't complain. Yeah, same. I'm all right. And obviously, we didn't make a podcast after the Plymouth game midweek because I think no one had the energy or or even the willpower to think back to that game after the final whistle had gone. But given that result midweek, John, and obviously the fact that prior to this game, we hadn't won at home in over two months, um, I think it was going back to November. You know, How much do you think this win takes the pressure off as such? Yeah, I think it does. Um... Obviously, we know we've been struggling uh, our home form. Uh, plenty of excuses from the players of, of why that is, but it's nice. I say nice. It's it's nice to get that that win. Almost the monkey off the back. Um, almost wasn't pretty. Wasn't anything scintillating, but we got the job done. It gets us out of a out of a rut slightly. I'm not quite sure what the plan is. Obviously, tactically and and that sort of thing. We've got a long way to go, but three points in a clean sheet. You can't. We can't moan too much. What do you think our home form comes down to, Michael? Because obviously, you know, it was only a few seasons ago, a few years ago. I think we went a full calendar year or maybe, you know, like 364 days, I think it was actually, without a home win. Um, And obviously the fans were blamed for that. We were called toxic, the atmosphere, whatever, whatever it was. But fans haven't been there this season. And as I've just said there, we haven't won at home since November the 3rd, prior to yesterday. What do you think that comes down to? Um, I think ultimately it's down to the current situation of the world at the moment, especially across all football grounds, as you know, we can't go to the games. Um, I think apart from selected stadiums that have had a couple of thousand attendances and which isn't the same as what normal capacities would be, obviously. Um, I think, but I think in Sunderland's case, we've never had that. We've never had the chance to have two or 3000 in the ground, which you could very easily facilitate given the size of the stadium. And, um, but I think it's a lack of drive. I think it's just the, Yes, obviously, uh, everyone knows me by now. I go on about a lack of application, and I believe in the home games in particular, the likes of, I don't know, Bristol Rovers, MK Dons, Burton, Wigan, Plymouth. Those are sort of games that even if this squad's not great, I still expect to win. And But you're right. I think that the, I'm hoping this season puts to bed this stupid myth that Sunderland fans are, are, are the problem when, if you look at it, like you've, like you've just said yourself, if you look at what we've had to endure the last so many years, of nearly going a full calendar year of not winning a game at home, which is embarrassing. Um, that that was sandwiched between two, in, in the midst of two relegations back to back. You're talking losing yeah. twice at Wembley, fifth and eighth in League One, the two worst seasons in the club's history. This season could possibly follow suit. And on top of that, you've there, but you've also had a, a forty-yard what was it, forty-six thousand sellout on Boxing Day against Bradford. And then, that, yeah. Yeah, and then you average around 30,000. You might fluctuate a couple of weight in between a, bo- uh, 
a blower above that. But in general, you have very good home crowds. And to be called toxic was to be quite... And I think it was from... Was it from the likes of the owners, wasn't it? So Yeah, I think it was Charlie Methman, yeah. Well, that doesn't surprise me. He's a... Well, you prefer me not to swear, so he's an idiot, to say the least. But... <laughs> it, um, yeah, I could think of worse words to describe him. But like that, that isn't that's quite frankly insulting Sunderland fans' intelligence and it's insulting to fans in general. We sell out nearly every away game when we've had the chance in the third tier of English football, the longest spell in our history at this level. Yeah, yeah. And I think that I think I think so don't get me wrong, I think sometimes fans do tend to overreact when a pass is misplaced and think like it's the end of the world, but it's the emotion of the moment. You, you know. That that's natural. Every club's going to have that. If you can't deal with that, then you shouldn't be playing for the club. And at the same time, we 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 give that five percent extra drive, five ten percent extra drive, and that's what I think's compounded our home form this season. Because what was that only? Was that only our fourth win at home yesterday or Saturday? Was that only our fourth league win of the season at home? Um, quite but possibly. Yeah, the last we, one. We, well, obviously, the last one was two and a bit months ago, so it's quite likely to have been. That, that alone tells you how bad it is. It's that was that, and that, that's pathetic home form, really. So we need to address that. And yeah. yeah, I'm hoping that puts permanently puts to bed this stupid idea that fans are to blame for the team's performances. It's the players and the management team alone. Yeah. Do you think? Can I just can I just add to that? It was obviously midweek. Uh, I think it was Max Power did an interview, um, and I did put out a tweet about it, and he was saying that the little bit of a struggle is because the fans aren't there. And yeah. it's like, you can't, you can't have it both ways. Do you know what I mean? We, we went to Wembley yeah. twice and, you know, there was 90,000 in there and you, and you can't get up. We obviously know when George Honeyman did a podcast and he said, like, we just struggled to get up for it. I've, I don't know how you struggle to get up for that, even just being a, a footballer. Um, yeah. But if, if you do struggle, okay. But then you can't then turn around and say, oh, no fans were struggling. It's like, there has to be, some accountability from the players to say, well, it's obviously a thing on you that you either can't get up for it when the fans are there or you can't get up for it when the fans um, are not there. It's, you, can, you can't have it both ways. There can't always be an excuse. It has to then reflect on, obviously, we know the state of the club, but these players need to, you know, step up in, in terms of ability. And that's what, it, that's what I think it comes down to. I just don't think the players we do have are good enough and that's what it comes down to. But you've got, like, you your captain coming out in midweek saying, oh, we're struggling because there's no fans. It's like, well, you can't have it both ways, Max. You just can't. Yeah. Well, exactly. And if you look at, even if you look at the Lewis Morgan interview as an example of the playoff final as well, that was the biggest game of that season. And he basically implied that he couldn't get up for it. Now, I know that's slightly mm-hmm. off John's point, but that the, the point is, if that's the mentality, then you shouldn't be anywhere near Sunderland. It's just, it's just fact. You, in this league, you're going to have to have to put up with ex, when the fans are there. You're going to have to put up with expectation, and rightly so. We ex, we're not asking to finish in the Champions League. We're asking to get out of a league that we feel we shouldn't be in in the first place. So, I don't see, and you know, but yet we, but yet apparently for some stupid reason we get called fickle, arrogant, and delusional for expecting top two in League One. Do us a favor, please. But um, yeah. Sorry, that really really annoys me when people say that. But yeah, yeah like John said, if you if you can't if you're struggling when the fans are there, then yeah, you can't have it both ways. You've got to step up and show what why you at the club. You've got to should step up and just take responsibility. Yeah, and obviously it's the same for all clubs. People see it on Sky, and I know people listening will like just get on with it. But fans aren't there. Do you think it would have benefited Sunderland this season? You look at some of the games where you know we've struggled to really get going. The passing has been really sloppy. Obviously, you know, I think there was one game where Michael, you were you were talking about the game with us with Joel and obviously George Dobson played and yeah, we didn't have a good word to say about him because he just wasn't good in that game. 
you know, do you think games like that, having 30,000 fans there would benefit them or almost hinder them? Because, you know, this is our third season in League One. The squad we have isn't great. We're underperforming in terms of, you know, realistically, we should be challenging for top two, as you said earlier. We're not. I think we're eighth or seventh or something at the minute. You know, do you think it would benefit the club now or do you think it would hinder them slightly with the frustration, I suppose, from the supporters? It, de- it depends entirely on what the mentality is, doesn't it? I think every player, for example, reacts differently. I think if you look at someone like Chris Maguire, who I think has been terrible this season, but I actually think he thrives off the crowd being there. I think he loves being the, yeah. the sort of man of the moment type player. Other, But the thing is, again, if, if there's this narrative coming out that that the fans being not be, being there and the, they can't handle the expectation, well, this season they've definitely got no excuse because, the, the, and, and even if even if that's the mentality, shouldn't you as a professional footballer still be trying to motivate each other? That's, I, I don't get, like you said, it, it seems to me like if you can't be up for playing MK Doms, Burton and, sorry, Wigan and Plymouth at home, then that what does that say about your mentality? What does that say about your desire to try and get this club promoted? Um, and that should, and that, and make no mistake. Again, while you're here at this league, that's the only thing that should be acceptable going up. And if it's not, if it's not achieved, then fans are rightly going to grumble about it. It's we've put up with mediocrity for far too long, in my opinion. But yeah, as for your question, yeah, I think I guess I think it depends. But I mean, certainly, I'll put it this way: I think financially they'll be missing the fans. Um, yeah, you know, because we, because like you say, if you get regularly get mid twenty thousand season season tickets. Plus, on top of that, us buying merchandise, we effectively fund the club. But there you go. Yeah. Anyway, we will look at the teams that started the game. Um, obviously, we'll start with Sunderland because there's no Shrewsbury on. But Lee Burge started in goal. Max Power came in at right back. Bailey Wright and Jordan Willis for the two centre-halves. Callum McFadzine, Josh Scullin, Grant Ledbetter, Jack Diamond, Aidan McGeady, Charlie White and Aidan O'Brien. And as I said, there was the two changes. Obviously, Ledbetter came back in for Winchester and Dion Sanderson was replaced by Max Power at right back. But more importantly, we stuck with the 4 triple two formation, I suppose it was, John. What have you made of the performances in that system in comparison to when we played a 4-3-3? You know, uh, I, don't, I don't think it's uh, as attacking as, uh, as it should be. With the, the forward players we've got in Diamond and McGeady, we seem to not... In this system, we don't really seem to use them um, very effectively. They're still a little bit deep, almost like on the halfway line sometimes. Um, I wouldn't. I think we need to think a little bit more about getting some more out of uh, Aidan McGeady. Um, yeah. And with with that and the squad we've got, I think we need to maybe look at even obviously if, when a left back does come because um, he has to, um, is maybe putting Sanderson in there, who's nice and solid, and then McGeady's got almost that little free free uh, role um, going forward because he is he's the one obviously he's not been at his best he got an assist yesterday but we need you know we need him to have a little bit more freedom um, we swapped him around yesterday and it didn't it just it didn't really work I know like we said it before the podcast we we got the result um, and the you know three points in the clean sheet but I'm not I'm not really sure what you know the plan is like we've got Scowan mm. very very far forward um, almost ahead of McGeady and Diamond sometimes, and it's like it's not. Yeah. That's not what we need in this system. And then again, the strikers. We still need a different dimension uh, from the strikers because it's almost like mm. Aidan O'Brien's just another version of of Charlie Wagon. You just got two up there, and it's it doesn't seem like we got two up there for some reason. And we're yeah, I don't yeah. I, I don't know what the what the plan of the you know the system is, but it's 
it's going to take Johnson, you know, some uh, to get some a few players in and you know a lot of time on the training pitch for it to absolutely flourish. Yeah, and Michael, like John says, you know, Lee Johnson will hopefully be looking to bring in a couple of players this summer. Um, sorry, in January and obviously this summer as well to suit the style of play he wants to play. Yeah. Do you think we will be better off, you know, reverting back to the four three three, building on that, you know, getting Aidan McGeady and Jack Diamond on the wings involved more? Or do you think this formation that we are playing now, you know, a narrow kind of formation to hold midfielders, you know, which one do you think suits the current set of players we have? Obviously, yeah, I mean obviously it depends who um starts, but I think that if you looked at Personally, I prefer a four the four three three formation because I think that I mean, first of all, if you say you've got McGeady and if we give Diamond starts, personally, I think Diamond should be is is effective player coming off the bench. I don't think he quite has the same impact when he starts. Although he did all right against Shrewsbury, to be fair to him. But if you had yeah. those two in the system, if you had those two either side of uh, Charlie White at the moment, then I think that that should be a pretty good front three for this level, in my opinion. Um, but like John said, I think I agree with John where we need to get the best out of McGeady because he's probably not going to be here next summer. Sorry, uh, like uh, beyond the rest of this season because of the salary cap if it's still here. So while you've got him, he might as well try and make the most of him. As for the formations, the it depends because obviously the big criticism with, say, Parkinson was that we were approaching games too, cons- too conservatively. And the, yeah. the treble two formation it sort of suggests or implies that you're going to have at least one midfielder which you would assume would be Ledbetter sitting in front of the back four trying to protect them. Theoretically, that could work if both full-backs are going to bomb on and go forward. Um, and obviously, at the minute, you've got Power and McFadzian, um playing in those roles. So if I had to pick for me, I would go with the 4-3-3 because I think Sunderland should be approaching games in this league with the, what's the word I'm looking for? Little, little to no fear attitude. So, yeah. Either way, I mean, again, it just depends on what plays you've got. I mean, obviously, you've got Dobson, who's um, our favourite player, George Dobson, who's gone out on loan to Wim- has gone on loan to Wimbledon, hasn't he? So hopefully, yeah. that'll free up a little bit of wages to actually try and bring somebody else in. But again, the problem is the salary cap. We're going to be limited on who we can get in. Yeah, and just on the salary cap, I think we will eventually do like you know a, a separate podcast about it. But there is so many players out of contract in the summer. And obviously, you've got Charlie White, who I will talk about just in a second. You've got Danny Graham. You know, like I said, I think we've said in a previous podcast, there's 14 or 15 players out of contract. And with the salary cap, it's currently still going to be here next season. Although I know a lot of people still question the, you know, whether it's legal or not. I'm not convinced myself that it is. But, you know, do you think the summer, regardless of what happens, it's just a massive clear out we can get the wages off the books, we can bring the people in that Lee Johnson wants, the type of players that he wants and, you know, the players that he thinks will suit the system. Or do you think we still need to kind of persist with certain players that we've got here and maybe add one or two here, you know, maybe add another striker, a centre-half? You know, which way would you like to see the club go in the summer? Go on, John. You take this first. Um, I'd, I think we've got to use it um, because if we're, if we're still in League One, it means that what we've got um, hasn't worked. There's a lot of players here um, who you wouldn't actually believe are, are playing for new deals. Um, yeah. You know, they might they might well be, you know, the most committed players, but ultimately just, just haven't been good enough. And we're talking, you know, we're talking a, a lot of them. Um, there's certain ones you'd give a new deal to. Obviously, no-brainers are maybe the youngsters, obviously Hume, 
Um, he's probably only going to get better. Uh, Diamond the same. McGeady's going to be on a lot of money, which we, we probably don't need for what he does give us. Obviously, another one. Uh, you've got Maguire. He's probably on, on really good money. Again, Michael said earlier, he's, he's been dreadful this season. Um, yeah. So, it, I think it is it's going to have to be a clean slate. And even even if we do go up by some absolute miracle, um, even then, I don't think... I don't think then half of them should, uh, should stay. Maybe I'd give... Maybe Jordan Willis, because I think he probably would, if he was going to leave eventually, he probably would command a fee. Luca nine the same. Um, yeah. But the rest, even... Even as far as, as Charlie Wyke, I'm not even sure I'd give him a new deal. Um, it certainly wouldn't be on um, sort of the same money he's on that, or not not at all. So it's there's it's it's all up in the air, isn't it? Obviously, we we see where the salary cap goes. We'll see what the new owners can, um, you know, can afford and fund. And you, it's a massive, massive job, and not one that I relish. Obviously, watching unfold. Yeah. Well, uh, sorry, sorry. Michael. Sorry, I was saying uh, adding to that. I think if you look at the players who are out of contracts, I think the only, like I think John said the the only four that I would say are definitely are uh, Hume, Diamond, Willis, and O Nine. I think those four I would want to keep, mm-hmm. but the rest of them are kind of. I was I was actually I wasn't against the idea of keeping McFancy in until the last couple of games. And I've really gone off yeah. him. Um, so like now, nah, get rid, please, Danny Graham, please no. Um, Ledbetter is a funny one because I think. Because of his age, I'd keep him as a coach if he was willing for sort of that sort of thing. But I think as as he's going on as a player, he's thirty five now, isn't he? So it's Fortunate, yeah. yeah, something like that. So it's it's he's not going to be able to sustain playing week in week out like he has been able to this season. And to be fair to him, he has been our player of the season. But you look at Wyke is probably the only aside from those I've mentioned. Wyke's probably the only one who I think is playing for a contract because as much as I still technically don't rate him, he's scoring goals. Um, yeah. Although you, although you could argue. He scored what eleven league goals. Like five of them came across two games. So if you take those two, if you take them out of it, in, in twenty games he scored six goals. So if you, if you want to look at it that way, but yeah, I mean, it depends. It also depends again on what division we're in. If we, like I said, John said, I don't think we'll go up. But if we get promoted by one one way or another, those four I've mentioned I've given you contract to, and then the rest are a bit hit and miss. Maybe leaning towards no. So you could argue it could be a clean slate. Uh, like you said, a clean slate. It gives Johnson an idea of getting who he wants, the type of players we need, and go again. But you never know, do you? Yeah. Well, Sunderland got the game underway, and unlike recent performances, recent games, they did start the game fairly well. Obviously, I think it was 15 seconds in it took for the first ball to go in the box. Um, I think Diamond put a ball in the box and scoring. I'm not entirely sure what he did with it, but he saved the volley at about 40 40 yards wide of the goal, despite being five yards out. But it was an improvement on recent weeks. But the first real and clear-cut chance came in the 18th minute. Um, McFadden played the ball down to Aidan McGeady on the left. Found himself some space, beat his man, put a ball in the box for White to head into the corner. For, as Michael just said there, for his 11th league goal of the season. And just on Charlie White, um, you know, I wrote a piece for Fan Hub this week listing the deadliest strikers in the league based on stats at least, and he features, you know, he's averaging a goal at the moment of one goal every 134 minutes played, which is obviously just over, you know, a game, a game and a half. Um, and he's been linked with a move to Luton recently. And the number of fans that I've seen on social media saying they wouldn't be against selling him right now really shocked me, given the form that he's actually been in this season. And 12 months ago, I never would have imagined myself saying this, but... John, how important is he to this team? 
Yeah, at the moment he's uh, with his goal scoring record. He's he's very important. Um, I've I'm sort of on the on the fence with that because whilst like a lot of us, we probably wouldn't be bothered if someone come in and said, "Oh, we'll give you you know five hundred grand and we'll take him off your hands." A lot of fans would be, "Oh, well, I'll drive in there and probably be a thought of myself." Um, but the the worry, obviously, the worry then is like we're left with, with yeah, we're left with Graham and Greg, and can you could you trust? Even though we've changed, you know, behind the scenes, could you trust the club to to get it right um, and replace him? Because we'd need someone, you know, banging form and firing. Which those are the players that we do not go for. We're, you know, we're looking sort yeah. of low end championship teams and strikers who are, you know, have played like seven minutes in, you know, six months. So who will take plenty of time to get up to speed? And the players we've got now are struggling to even get used to. To Johnson's tactics, so it's it's a massive one. It's it's a no brainer, I think, to to keep him. Especially if we've got, we should be looking at getting rid of. I think there's a report out today that Johnson wants to get rid of Grigg and and Graham this this transfer window, and then replace them uh, with someone else. So I wouldn't be against that. Um, but we've we've got a, I think we've got to protect Charlie White, and I can't believe I'm saying that um, because yeah. his goals his goals have saved us. To be fair, yeah. Well, after someone did get the goal. Um... As usual, a dominated possession, but didn't really do much with us. Shrewsbury started to go into the game. Um, I think Leon Clark had a decent chance in the first half after a barely right mistake and missed the clearance, but he fired over the bar. And Chapman had a good chance after another barely right mistake, but Lee Burge was able to get something on. And you know, other than them two chances for Shrewsbury, nothing else really happened in the first half. And half time arrived at 1 0. And other than the Lincoln game, Michael and you know, maybe one or two others since we dropped into the division. Whenever we score a goal, we don't necessarily look like getting another and another and, you know, and so on. Do you think that's just a mindset that's not installed in the club that other sides in the league have? Or do you think the players just aren't good enough to put a game to bed? For me, a lot of it for me obviously depends who the opponent is. I think in games like, like if you look at the MK Dons game as an example, where uh, I don't believe that squad of players shouldn't have been good enough to beat MK Dons. But in the question of going for a second, I think it's a mindset and mentality thing because it, it, it wasn't just under Parkinson, under Rost. A lot of the times yeah. they went one nil up and tended to sit back, which I don't know if that's the coaches instilling that mindset in them or if it's just a natural mindset the players have developed. And either way, if it is their mindset, it's going to take Johnson quite some time to sort of get that out of them. I mean, to, to be fair... In the first half, I did think Sunderland did push for a second goal. I think if you look at it, White had a, an open goal that he arguably should have done better with. Diamond had a really good chance as well. So I think, but obviously the issue is after half time, as I'm sure we'll get onto later. After half time, obviously we the whole second half we seem to be content with just one nil. I think we only had one chance after half time that I can remember. So yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think it's a mindset thing. But again, if that's the case, I think I don't envy Johnson trying to sort of get it out of them to. Go 1-0, then sit back on it. Uh, a big issue for me is trying to play like we did in the opening stages of the game and try and do that consistently through a game rather than, you know, be good one half and shocking the next. Yeah. And, and John, it's, you know, it's a weird one because, you know, we've just beat Wimbledon 3-0. So to say that, you know, we don't look like getting a second or a third goal to some people wouldn't really make much sense. But, you know, if you think back to the Wimbledon game, Wimbledon game you know, I think we scored in the sixth minute and, you know, after that, I don't really think we did anything up until like the 87th minute. I think Wimbledon had two or three great chances that, you know, if they take their chances, they win that game. Um, and obviously, again, yesterday, 
we scored the goal, didn't really make any other clear-cut chances, didn't look as ruthless as we've seen teams be or as Sunderland have been against Lincoln, who, you know, they're still up there, they're still second in the table, still likely to be up there at the end of the season. What do you think it comes down to? Uh, I think Johnson says it. There's still that that Parkinson mindset, isn't it? Obviously, we, you know, the we're we're shaky in defence for some reason. Obviously, we we do seem to give teams chances. I can't remember a game where a team hasn't had you know at least two or three chances. Um, again, and a lot of the, even the Lincoln game we won. Uh, even Johnson said we should have been you know two 0 down. Um, so it's. Like say same as as the Wimbledon one, they have their chances, and it's it really is a weird one. You've you've almost got to ride your luck. There's never like since we've been in League One, I can't remember an absolutely perfect performance. There may have been one or two in the in the Ross era, but I think we've we've still got the same core of players, and you know we're forever the one the one always just seems to just you know be embedded in the club history at the moment. And there, as soon as we score, it's a natural. It's a natural thing to almost be worried, as opposed to get the first goal, settle yourselves down, and then then really go go for the second one. You score a second goal against Shrewsbury, and they'll, they'll probably kill the game off. Um, yeah. And like, obviously, second half yesterday, we were very very lucky because second half we didn't do anything, and a team who probably if Shrewsbury maybe would have gone for it a bit more, then obviously we'd have been in a lot more a lot more trouble, like we saw um, against Plymouth. So it's it's a mindset thing, and I think that. That's a really hard thing to change for the for the coaches off, and I think to get out of of those mindsets is is with new players. Um, if you looked at the, the Plymouth game on on um, midweek, uh, Winchester played, and Winchester was was sort of in in behind uh, their midfield, and he was looking for the forward pass, and Scowen decided to ping it out to the right back, and Winchester almost looked at him as if say like, "What are you doing? What? Yeah. Why are we not?" Why are we not progressing forward? Do you know what I mean? It's it's still a mindset of the players we have here to to be conservative, to you know protect, recycle, and reset, and that goes you know for Ledbetter, Scow, and it's I think that the mindset is really hard to change. You know the the worry. So I think fresh blood does help with that. Yeah. Well, halftime did arrive. Obviously, Sunderland didn't make any changes at halftime. I don't think. And as I said earlier, the second half was possibly. The most tedious half of football, you know, ever witnessed. And as a Sunderland fan, it does take a lot to actually say that. But, you know, neither side created any real chances. Neither side looked like they were going to actually score. You know, it was a half of football that could really only be associated with League One football. And I've said it before, and I know a few said the same on Twitter, Michael. You know, again, possibly other than the Lincoln game. Can you remember a Sunderland performance that you've been content with based on two halves? Because to me and to a lot of people, we'll either start the game well and, you know, kind of fade out towards the end. Or we'll start poorly, we'll go 1-0 down, we'll get in at half-time, we'll come out with a different team. We just seem incapable of performing over two halves, no matter who we play or where we play them. Well, it looks that way, doesn't it? I mean, certainly, this, uh, to, to the answer the question, certainly under Johnson, no, from what, I've, from what I can remember seeing. Um, the only time I can remember, probably this season, I was content over both halves was probably Charlton away, and that was only because we went yeah. down to 10 men later on in that game. But obviously, that's it's it, those that's unique circumstances. In a general context, no. I can't think of one that I've been remotely happy. I don't know whether it's exclusive to Sunderland. I think there's a lot of teams in this league that probably 
perform well one half and then later on don't seem to do it. If you look at when we played Hull a couple of weeks ago, for example, Hull battered us first 20 minutes and then yeah. he did nothing for the remaining 70, really. Um, maybe I saw the game differently. To a lot of people, I don't know, but that's just what my perception of it was. For Obviously, for the second half, it was it was pretty dire. And I think had Shrewsbury had a bit more going forward, I think we probably would have dropped points there. But ultimately, obviously, thankfully, they didn't and we did get the three points. But if you look at it when, when we've got Ipswich coming up, I think Ipswich are a much better team than what Shrewsbury are. And even though Shrewsbury have been on a good run of form, they beat, um, I think it was Hull, Lincoln and Doncaster all the way from home, You know, that, which is no mean feat, to be fair. They're all in the top six, uh, two of them in the top two at the moment. We, we still, you know, I, I, I don't know what you guys think, but for me, one of the things that I think probably did help in our favour yesterday, despite the poor second half performance, was the fact that Shrewsbury, apart from Southampton, hadn't played a game of football, I think, for three weeks. Um, mm. Which I think, obviously, we, we know that ourselves, that apparently we looked rusty as anything when we came back from this COVID break. And I'm just wondering whether that played a factor in, into, the, uh, into the game that Shrewsbury didn't do more. But saying that, though, they did still miss a couple of good chances. So it's a funny one. We can't keep getting away with it. We need to address the... And to be fair, I do trust Johnson that he wants to change that. I do think that he wants to change the whole... We, we have to try and be consistent enough over both halves to, yeah. to give us a chance to win games. But obviously, like I said earlier, it's going to take time, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, you know, as I say, second half was an awful watch. Nothing happened that was really worth mentioning. Um, Luke 9 made his first appearance since his injury and you know that was pretty much it but we got the win a clean sheet three points and we see it every time it rarely ever happens but obviously our poor run of home form is finally over to win the gap between us and the top three or so gets smaller for now although with the games in hand and you know the postponements that happened a lot in the recent weeks the league table right now is changing pretty much every few days so I wouldn't look too much into it but as we stand right now we are seventh, John. Do you think we are looking at the playoffs as our best chance of promotion this season? Or do you still think there is a chance of a top two finish? Um, it's like you say, was, you can't really read into anything. Um, literally at the moment, it's going to be who's you know the most consistent, I think. We've, considering how poor we've been and we're still in, you know, relatively in the mix, um, is is probably a bit of a bit of hope. I think a lot of things need to fall into place. Um, a lot of it's going to be, like I say, consistency and playing Tuesday, um, Tuesday, Saturday. But we need we need the players um, in the squad to be on form. Um, and it needs to be the ones obviously in rotation because these players aren't going to be able to do it every week. Do you know what I mean? We have, yes. you know, Charlie White has a stormer, then midweek he's poor. And then yesterday was, OK, do you know what I mean? So what, what are you going to get Tuesday? And that, that, you know, I'm singling them out there. That could go for uh, a lot of players. We haven't got the players coming on, not really making a difference. Obviously, yesterday, Maguire didn't really do anything. Winchester was okay, was tidy. Um, 09, probably just a little bit late. Um, so I think recruitment is going to be a big one. Um, but I yeah. think we're, we're definitely in with a shout. Playoffs, we've, it's going to be a really poor season if we don't get in the playoffs. And then obviously, that's the lottery. Um, and if we if we can nail the consistency, which I'm not sure we can, then you might be looking at the top two, but it's it look, it's looking like the playoffs. Yeah. And on that note, we will move into the player ratings from yesterday's game. And obviously, we will start with Lee Burge. Um, and distribution-wise, I think you put us under pressure a lot. Um, you know, I've lost count in recent weeks of how many times he's fired the ball straight out of play or 
you know, straight at one of their players. But he made some decent saves, as I said earlier. Um, I think it was Harry Chapman, you know, found himself the one goal and Bailey White just kind of stuck a leg out, didn't make a tackle, made a decent save there. So general happens every week. Sick of saying this number, but six out of ten for me, John. Uh, I've gone with a five. Um, obviously, the good he did make a good save, um, which obviously preserves his clean sheet. But his kicking yesterday was absolutely atrocious, and it just it puts us under unnecessary pressure that we we don't need. Do you know what I mean? I, I almost haven't got a problem with him kicking out of play if he kicks it out of play into their half, but it doesn't. It seems to go out yeah. of play in our half. Um, you know, or they're really short, and we it puts us under so much pressure. We don't. We come under pressure anyway, so we don't need you know we don't need any encouragement from our own players. So yeah, he gets a five. <laughs> Mike, for you, yeah, that was a good. I like the way John phrased that. Uh, yeah, I think I probably would go with a five as well, even though obviously you could argue six because he kept a clean sheet. But I, I still can't forget that chance in the first half where I think Leon Clark uh, missed a really really good chance for Shrewsbury, but that came from Lee Burgess' poor dis- poor distribution, and he and helped invite Shrewsbury onto us. So it's like yeah, okay, mate, we're under pressure anyway. We don't need any. any we don't need any, we don't need you helping them. So yeah, <laughs> five. Yeah, um, Max Power came back in at right back, obviously replacing Dion Sanderson. And as Lee Johnson said a few weeks ago, you probably do expect the same Max Power at right back from from now on, or at least for the majority of the games. Um, in terms of the game yesterday, didn't really have much to do. Didn't have too much involvement in the game. Um, put some decent crosses in the box. Um. You try and link up a diamond a lot. They weren't always on the same same wavelength, sorry. But again, didn't do anything wrong. Didn't do anything particularly right. So six out of ten for me, John. Yeah, I got I've gone with a five. Uh, I thought he was poor on the ball. He wanted too much time. Uh, gave it away a couple of times, and I still, especially second half again. I've, I'm not seeing him. You know, he's the captain. I want to see him absolutely in the faces of of our own players, geeing us up and. You know, keep the ball, nothing stupid. But again, I don't see that. So, yeah, it annoyed me. So, he gets a five. And Michael, for you? I'll probably go with a six. I think, to be fair, I thought, I, I thought, I mean, I know on the ball he wasn't great, but I actually thought in general he was steady enough, just dealt with it, just kept his position fairly well. And just, and he actually had that good chance in the second half, which, that, like I said, we had one chance second half, which was through power. So, yeah, I, I'd like Max Power right back. So, I would go with a six. But, yeah, he, he wasn't great either, I have to admit. Yeah. And Bailey Wright started in the centre of defence. And, you know, as I said earlier, his mistake led to, well, Wolf's mistake led to Shrewsbury's two best chances of the game. Luckily, they didn't take them. Obviously, the first one, he's missed a clearance. Second one, he struck a leg out trying to, trying to make a challenge. He missed it. He's certainly not been the player this season that we became accustomed to last season. So again, possibly harsh, but I'd give Bailey Wright a five out of ten. Yeah, from yesterday's game, possibly a six. He did improve in the second half slightly, so maybe I'll go five and a half. John, for you. Yeah, I've gone for five. I think he's still still shaky, and he he keeps getting turned as well. He got turned, I think, in the second half, like too far too easily. And obviously, a better team is going to take that chance, and it's it's just one of those. And I'm only it probably is a little bit harsh on him, but um. The standards he set, obviously, last season of how good it was. I think he has he's gone downhill slightly. So yeah, five. Yeah. Mike, up you. Likewise, again that that when he tried to stick a leg out, the ledger. I think was it you said it was Chapman. Um, his chance that Burge had to save 
really, but Bailey Wright shouldn't have allowed it to get in the box in the first place. So five, but I do believe I do believe he's better than he's shown at the minute. Yeah. And alongside him in centre defence was Jordan Willis, who I was a little surprised to see him start. Obviously, he did go off. I think it was Tuesday. He went off with the with a knee injury. This obviously kept him out for so long as well. But uh, in terms of yesterday's game, you know, I thought he was fairly solid at the back. His pace helped the backline cope with Shrewsbury, especially on the counter attack. Um, you know, for someone who's not particularly tall as a centre half, he's very good in the air. And yeah, six out of ten, John. Yeah, I've gone for six. Yeah, he was, he was steady, wasn't he? I didn't really didn't really notice him him too much. So that's probably a good thing. Yeah, Michael, you agree with both of you? Six, and I think it's blatantly clear when we only hasn't played that we've missed him. Yeah, making up the back four was Callum McFadden, who oh, it's weird. He didn't do much wrong offensively, but. You know, at times defensively, just like Denver Hume is when he plays, he seems like a real liability. You know, his positioning was all over the place. I think it was, I think there was an opportunity they had in the second half where, you know, he went far too in the middle. And I'm not sure who it was on the right hand side for, for Shrewsbury, but he had so much space because McFadzine just wasn't aware of it. So for me, yesterday's game, I've given McFadzine a five out of ten, John. Uh, I've gone one low. I've gone for a four. I, th- I thought he was dreadful. Um, he was, he was like you say, second half. He was so close to to Bailey Wright and just gave you know gave them an outlet, uh, which was they were loving the switch ball anyway. So you know, keep your position. Uh, he's not always going to win the header, but yeah, he gave them he gave them a massive outlet. And it's, I, yeah, I think he's a massive weak link, and he's the only he's the only defender that's respecting the social distancing of two meters when when he's mm-hmm. defending. <laughs> Michael Few. Well, he doesn't respect social distancing when he gives away cheap free kicks, put it that way. Um I, I there was at least two or three cheap free kicks that he gave away that put us under pressure. And as I've said before, I I, don't, I, I just don't rate him now. I think he's he, I mean if you look at the second goal against Plymouth, I put that a large part of that down to McFads in not tracking his man into the box, which as I'm, yeah. I, know, I know John as a coach might tell me if I'm t- talking rubbish here, but like as a full back, I don't get how you can get caught out like that, how you can't track your man, because that should be part of your job as part of a back four. Um, McFadden looks a real suspect. And, I, you know, offensively, he might be half all right. Like, you know, he, he can put a decent delivery in, like he proved for O'Brien's goal against Plymouth. But yeah, four. I, I, I think he was really, he was definitely our worst player, in my opinion. Yeah. And obviously, a lot of people think signing left-back is priority and I suppose because Denver Hume is out for a while now, he, you know, kind of is priority because if McFadden gets injured we haven't got a natural left-foot left-footed player in the team, I don't think. Um, I'm trying to think if there's actually any other left-footed players in the entire squad on the top of my head. Is Tom Flanagan Flanagan. Is he left-footed, is he? I don't think, I don't think Flanagan knows. <laughs> I was going to say. I'd still rather Flanagan but, is left-back than McFadden. Yeah, but just based on, you know, if Big Fadzine and Denver Hume was fit, and John, I'll start with you, do you think signing the left-back would still be priority? Do you think either of them are good enough for, for what we want to achieve in this league? Uh, I think Hume is, and with uh, the way Johnson plays, I think he probably would have have uh, done some coaching with him and maybe, you know, he, he probably would be a, um, a better outlet, um, especially than McFadden, um, and obviously in the system. Um, which, if he was obviously 
uh, in the good in the system, obviously going forward, that puts us on the front foot a lot more, and then obviously there'll be less defending to do. Um, but whilst we're, you know, sort of struggling, uh, that's when, you know, it's going to highlight where the weak links are. Um, so obviously Hume looks like a fairly uh, bad one, you would have thought. So yeah, left back is high, high on the agenda, and it has to be because McFadden is dreadful. Yeah. And Michael Few, Denver Hume, I think it'll be like about four to six weeks until he's fit. When he is match fit, does he just go straight back in that team for you? Yes, because McFadden, again, like John said, McFadden just, is just a dreadful left back. And I think Hume's been so one of Sunderland's better players, from, in my own opinion, over the last uh, 18 months or so. Um, I do, he, obviously, he's still quite young. He's still, still in some ways. How old is he now? 22, 23? McFadden, I think he's well old. Oh, sorry, oh, Denver no, Hume. No, no. <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, he's early twenties. Um, Something like twenty-two, that. I think. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, obviously, I know at this point you want to start making a stake in uh, claim for the first team, but I just, I think Hume has been. I think Hume should only get better with time, and and, it, and it's abundantly clear for me looking at those two left backs how far Hume is ahead of McFadden. Yeah. Well, moving into midfield, and the name that is starting to become a very well, starting to divide opinions, I suppose is the best way of putting it, is Josh Schoen. Um And yesterday's game, you know, it's a, as I said to John earlier, he's such a weird player because I, he's one of them players that I don't know what he's meant to be, what his strong attribute is meant to be. You know, I've seen him go forward a lot. Is that his attribute? I don't know. I've seen him at the back trying to claim up defence. Is that his best position? I don't know. But based on yesterday's game, there was a lot of running, um, some decent play, some poor passes, a really mixed bag. Six out of ten. I'm going to go straight down the middle, John. I've gone with a five. I thought he did work hard, but he didn't really do anything. Um, it's, you know, I genuinely can't remember him doing anything. Uh, positive, uh, gave away a few stupid free kicks. Doesn't for a midfielder, you think he'd be able to get his foot on the ball and, and calm us down a little bit, but that didn't happen second half either. Uh, I think he's in there for his energy because obviously he's going to be a lot more fitter than uh, Ledbetter. But for him, I don't think we need him. I think he's there there for the press uh, high up. But I said earlier, like he doesn't if unless we're all going to press together, there's no point in one person pressing. So it's, it's a waste of energy. Um, and then obviously going forward, he's not. You know, he can't really. He's picked out a few good um, balls this season, but not obviously not enough. Um, so he's not like you say. I don't really know what he does, and I'd happily have uh, Luco Nine yeah. in there. Um, whether Johnson sees that or not, I don't know. But yeah, I've gone for I've gone for five. Yeah. Michael Field. Likewise, I'm I'm struggling to remember him really doing anything in the game. I'm, I think it, like he was standard. He ran around a bit, but he just didn't. He, he doesn't offer a lot going forward, and well, as I rephrase that, he he can offer a bit going forward. But the problem is, once he gets once he gets into a shooting position, I don't think I've seen a player with worse shots at all in my life. Josh Gown cannot finish. He literally can, and I, you know, and I'm I'm thinking it gets to the point where I'm wondering if he's actually attempting to rectify that on the training ground because it's almost every single shot he has is skied high and what high over or high and wide. It's it's ridiculous. He, he ran, like I said, ran around a bit, but just didn't do anything other than that so five yeah um, alongside him in midfield was Grant Ledbetter rinse and repeat as I say every week dictated to play well played some late passes um, 
Yeah, possibly a generous, but I've given a seven out of ten, John. I've got I've gone with another five. I thought first half he was he was okay, <laughs> but second half he was just non non existent for me. And but even I expect teams to to you know maybe dominate as you know during stages of the game, but I don't think for an experienced head they're not they're not managed very well. And he's he's in there to manage them situations, but you know there was. It's the same as last week. You just just get your foot on the ball, calm it down, recycle the ball. Well, you know when we need to, you know when we're, you know, one up and attacking. Sort of first half, you know, it will still do that. It's recycle the ball around. But when we're under the cosh, that's what we need. We need experience head. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying that. And again, it's probably it's probably a little bit harsh because um, obviously he's getting on now. But that's I just do expect to see that a little bit more. And I'm I'm surprised that uh, Winchester didn't play uh, instead of him. Yep. Michael, I'm banging the middle of you too. I think I'd go for a single. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think that he he did all again. He did all right in midfield. He was probably the best of the midfielders that I think that did play from what I can remember. Uh, well, obviously there's only two of them in that situation. So yeah, I think he was definitely better than Scowan was. But he just kept it ticking over, kept recycling it, um, just kept it. I didn't notice him that much. But like I think, like John said, with the centre backs, I think it's probably a good thing if you don't notice him as if he quietly does the job. Then fair enough. But yeah, time's coming on where we're going to have to move away from Ledbetter because of his age, unfortunately. But for for yesterday, I'd give him a six. Yeah. Moving on to the forward, the forward four, the fantastic four. Obviously, Aidan McGeady started again on the left and first half especially. Um, you know, a lot of these ratings are heavily influenced by the first half. But first half, every time he got the ball, he looked like he would do something with it. Obviously, you know, 15 minutes in or whatever it was, put a great ball in for, for White for opening goal. And after that, he put some other decent balls in the box. Second half, started to tire a little bit. Didn't really have much influence on the game. But again, I don't think any of our players really, really didn't look to support him as a player anyway. But oh, it's, I hate these ratings because it's so, all... 7 out of 10. I'm going to go with 7. I'm not going to go with 6.5. John? Uh, I've gone for six. I didn't, apart from the assist and a few, you know, a few other little times, uh, I just think he could be, be a little bit better. And that's again, because of the standards that he set. So again, it's probably a little bit harsh, but it frustrated me a little bit. And then obviously him and Diamond swapped in the second half and then didn't even see him. Didn't even know he was on the pitch and then customary yeah. substitution like he does. I'd like to see him stay on for 90 minutes. Cause I think one bit of uh, magic, you know, from him, as opposed to anyone else in the squad. And, you know, we're looking at a goal instead of just a, a half chance. Um, so, yeah, I've gone for six. I still, and that's only because of, you know, I expect a little bit more from him. Yeah. Michael Field? I think I'm going to be very generous and go seven, but that's probably because I think he was our best player, um, which doesn't say much about the rest of them. Uh, but I think that the, the cross for White's header was a very, very good one. And I think, like you said, I think, I think I'm probably, my rating probably is influenced on the first half as well. I think he's... He offered us the most in terms of um, going forward. I mean, obviously, I know Diamond had a really, really good chance. But other than that, I think McGeady was better down the left. And I think he kept on putting decent balls in the box. Shrewsbury, you could tell Shrewsbury were trying to double up on him. And thankfully, he had a bit too much quality for them. So, yeah, I'm, maybe I'm being very generous, but I would say seven. Yeah. Um, moving on to the other side, Jack Diamond started again. Um, and... You know, based on yesterday, it was just a poor game from him. I thought nothing he tried really came off. Um, you know, his crossing was 
was poor for the majority of the game. Um, you know, as I touched on earlier when we talked about Max Power, he just wasn't on the same wavelength as some of the, some of our players at times, which when you look at the quality of some of them, it's quite understandable why he wouldn't be, but possibly harsh again, but I've given Diamond a four out of ten from yesterday's game. John? Uh, I've gone with five, quite run-of-the-mill with the rest of the team. Uh, poor final ball, uh, decision-making poor, and obviously a lot of people have said, you know, he's only young and you've got to, you've got to give him the decision-making thing, but I, even my son playing his under-8s football gets that chance to just drive through and smash it at the goalkeeper, and he doesn't take that. I'd be screaming at my son, you know, to do that. So I don't, I don't think it is necessarily. It's, um, you know, like poor, poor decision-making. I think that's... It was just a weird one. Just, just decided to, you know, over hit a floated ball across when the whole goal was there. Just, you know, be greedy, be ruthless, and just go and smash yeah. it in. Whereas the amount of composure he had to score uh, against Lincoln, it was, yeah. you know, it's we're looking at a different player almost. Um, but it'll, I probably will give him the benefit of the doubt. He is young, so you know, I'll let him off that. But he's he's one of our. He's another one we need to, you know, Johnson needs to work out, you know, how to get the best from him, keep him wide. You know, do the simple things well, and he he will be a good player. You know, come the end of the season for us. Yeah, my for you. Say, I go the same rate as John. I think it was a five. I think the best thing he did again was that chance where he burst down the right side into the penalty box, and and I think tried to either dink the ball across the across the box, or try to find another player on the left hand side. When for me, he probably should have just had a shot, just because there was no other option. So again, it's the big thing again is decision making. He's definitely a bit of an outlet. He's got a bit of pace. He's got energy. He's got drive. It's just his, his, his end product and decision-making really needs work. But, I mean, other than the chance that he created, I didn't notice him all that much. I didn't think he did anything. But, again, benefit of the doubt, like John said, he's still young. So, bang in the middle, five. Yep. Moving on to the front two, the two central strikers. Obviously, Aidan O'Brien started again. Um, obviously, got his goal in back-to-back games. Did, was it, did he score against Plymouth? I think he did, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He did, and then... Um, but yesterday, you know, he worked hard, I suppose, but the quality wasn't really there. Um, you know, I think there was a decent decent chance he had to play through to Aidan McGeady or Charlie Wyke, and, you know, he kind of split the ball between the two of them, and it went down for a goal kick. Um, but other than that, I can't really remember too much that he did, so five out of ten for me. John? Yeah, again, another five. Like you say, he worked hard. Um but that's, you know, that's the, the minimum, um, you'd say. He probably didn't notice him in the second half because he did do a lot of the dogged running um, without, you know, really being a threat. But if he's going to play up, up front, we do need, you know, our strikers to be a threat and there wasn't any of that. So, yeah, five. Uh, same rating. I think, he again, he, he did he did the leg work. He ran round and did, did a lot of the ugly things up front to try and, because obviously... I think that's one of the reasons he's up there with Wyke to try and really do the ugly side of the game. Whereas I think Wyke doesn't use his physicality well enough. But for O'Brien, round on a bit, did the ugly stuff second half when we were under the cosh. Um, but like, like again, we we need we need I need a bit more from him in terms of goals, in terms of quality going forward to justify him being in the team. So yeah, but again, wasn't particularly bad yesterday. So five. Yep. Moving on to the last. Player. Obviously, Charlie White started up front and for his goal, it was a good header. Probably one of the better headers you'll see this season, especially in League One anyway. Um, first half, the score of the player was a lot better than 
than has been in the last couple of games. But again, second half was largely anonymous. So possibly a generous... I'll go with this. Oh, do I say for this one? <laughs> you debate this, aren't you? It's hard. I've given you a bit of a 7 out of 10 before and I kind of want to lower that now. But I'll, I'm going to lower better with 6.5 and I'm going to put White on a 6.5 as well. Gone for you. Uh, yeah, I'll probably go with a 6.5 because I think his his finish is absolutely fantastic. But then he's, you know, he's missing maybe the easier ones. Um, and I haven't... He's going to score goals, but I haven't really got a problem, you know, with that side. It's more the hold-up play doesn't, you know, there isn't any holding up, a uh, hold-up play. Um, closing down, you know, he might he might close down once or twice, but I, I don't think it's good enough. And that again, that might be me being a little bit harsh, but I think he really needs to to run his heart out with that press, and that comes from the rest of him, you know, Scowen and O'Brien helping him. Um, and he's he's taking the hard chances, but. But missing the the easy ones, you know, if he, he probably, if he scored the easy ones, he probably wouldn't be here. Um, but yeah, his, his hold up play, you know, we definitely need a player who can hold the play up um, when we're, you know, we're under the caution, we're lumping balls up there. It's just coming back, um, so it's a waste of time, you know, almost having him there. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'll probably go for six and a half. Michael, yeah. uh, flat six. I think his finish was fantastic. Like John said, I think his finish was excellent, but. I just felt I think he, I think he was anonymous in the rest of the game, and I think one of the reasons that I haven't rated White before is I think technically he's poor. I think that he's sometimes. I mean, this season he's been a lot better to be fair, but in general, I've seen his first touch is generally quite poor. It rolls off him about five ten yards every time the ball comes to his feet. He doesn't use his physicality well enough, and he, you know, he. I don't know what it is. Uh, it's a funny one, really, because again, technically I don't rate him, but he's also by far our best striker. So, um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, fair enough. Six. Yep. And John, you can get the tough decision to start with. My match, if you're going to pick one. Oh God. Um, <laughs> God. Nobody stood out, did they? Really? Um, no, nah, not really. No, nah, probably. I'll maybe just go with. Uh, McGeady, uh, maybe just for the first half, and that's that's not doesn't really say a lot, does it? Because yeah. you know he he looked sharp, looked to get on the ball, and you know and, and at least try things, um, and obviously got an assist, that one bit of quality um, for to give Charlie White the opportunity. Uh, yeah, I'll probably give it to to McGeady, but was, yeah, you know whatever. Michael, for you. Yeah, yeah, McGeady. Um, but again, like I say, but it's probably just because he was most noticeable that he did something half decent going forward, whereas everybody else was pretty substandard. So yeah, McGeady by default, I suppose. Yep. I think that's who I, I think that's who I went with in the match report. Um yeah, our next game is against Ipswich on Tuesday night at at home or away, I'm not sure. But away. Um, away. But away. It's on but the sky. It is a quarter of the way to kick off on Sky, like John says. I know a lot of people didn't realise we were back on Sky. Um, but, John, predictions for that game? Uh, I'm actually going to go against the grain here, and I think this is going to be a game that we're going to win. Obviously, away from home, we're not too bad against teams who try and attack. And obviously, we like the counter-attack. Um, so I'm going to say we will win 2-0. So, Mystic Michael. 
this is going to sound really stupid. Had we not won against Shrewsbury, I would probably have been more confident of the Ipswich game. But because we won, we never hmm. seem to take an opportunity to go on a good winning streak. And that's, I'm, I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm very, very torn here. I don't know. Okay, I'm going to be optimistic. I'll say 2-1 Sutherland. I think it's because the pressure might be slightly on Ipswich more being at home. I know, obviously, you don't have a home advantage as much these days, but the pre- they will be expected to do more. And if we can manage them quite well, then we, we could have some joy here. So I'm going to go 2-1, but I, w- I wouldn't be surprised whatever it went. Yeah. And if you're going to... I know it was, it was a, I think it was a cup game, wasn't it, Port Vale? But we did win two in a row just a couple of weeks ago. Well, yeah. That's true. I'll, I'll rephrase that. The last time we won back-to-back league games, which I believe was the start of November. So I was going to say that was probably quite a while ago. Yeah, probably more than likely would have been. So, I mean, I hope we do. If we if we do beat Ipswich, I think, despite Ipswich's problems, if we do beat them, I think it could be a very, very good result and a very big victory. But Sutherland know what they've got to do. It's just a matter of whether they choose to go out and do it on the pitch. Yeah. And Michael, who's, who's going to score? Oh, you put me really on the spot here. Um, okay, I'll go with Wyke again, and I will say Jack Diamond. Jack Diamond. And John, for you, for your 2 0 win. Let's have. Uh, McGeady will get the first, and we'll score a late one from Josh Gowan to silence. Hit the he's, he's been, he's been practising all week. Is that going to be a Danny Graham esque goal like the one against Everton? Yeah, we'll, we'll take that all day long. And he'll say he's been practising, even though it's only been like two or three days. But yeah. <laughs> we shall certainly see. But every time we get optimistic about the next game, it always backfires. So, Yep, 5 nil loss incoming. OK, I'll fine. 2-0 to Ipswich then. Callum McLeod's unit fault for both goals. There you go. I'll go down the middle. I'll say 1-1. I think... We'll go 1-1. I think it'll be an Ipswich own goal for our goal. And I don't know any Ipswich players. Edwards, he'll score for Ipswich. We'll go with that. Would you take, would you take a point now if it was offered? Um, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because it almost we, I depends I, what we'll do. I don't, I don't think in this league you should take a point against anyone. I think anyone could beat anyone. I think that had we beat Plymouth, I would have done. But because we're lost, probably not. If I had to, if I had to believe one way or the other right now, no. It's a weird one because, like you said, if Hull and Lincoln lose at the weekend, you know, I'm, I'm not sure who they're playing. And you know, if you get a result against, if you even get a point against another side who are up there, I think there might be. A, I think the joint points with us for the game at hand, maybe. So a point away to them if Hull and Lincoln lose, probably not the worst result. But if Hull win, then. Yeah, it's kind of a must win, but I suppose we will see. But that is all we have time for today. Appreciate you both joining me. No worries. Thanks for having um, us. We will be back, hopefully, this week to discuss the Ipswich game if it all goes to plan. If not, we will be back this time next week and we may also have a third and possibly final quiz in a few weeks' time, so keep an eye out for that. But until then, we will see you later.